Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, man, I've had people reaching out to me all week and uh, asking me questions, and uh, I've had my own questions, and people have said, I'm praying for you, Pastor, and because uh, this, is, this is a dicey time to preach to pastor a prophetic church, and so I am not going to fully address this this morning, because... I want to, I'm still working through some things. And so I'm just going to be honest with you. And I don't want to get up here half cocked and just, uh, you know, try to throw out some things to, uh, I don't want to patronize you with shallow answers. And so we're, we're going to be looking at that in the future. Matter of fact, I've spent the last three days with the Lord. Laura cleared my, my schedule and I just spent the last three days with the Lord, and I have come to the conclusion, I told her, I said, Laura, remind me next year, when I am fasting, never to take a prayer sabbatical. Because I feel like, I always feel like I get nothing out of it until afterwards. Now, three weeks from now, I'll be thinking, wow, that was rich. Wow, that was awesome. But, uh, so I've been wrestling with the Lord on what to preach on this morning, and I do want to touch on one element. We're going to be hitting on some of these things uh, because of the unprecedented times we're in. So we're going to be hitting on some of these things over the next number of weeks. And I may dedicate a whole Sunday addressing this whole issue of the elections and the promises and all of that. Uh, we, may, we may talk about that in the near future. But I do want to touch on one, uh, one facet. Before I do that, I came into the sanctuary this morning to test the mic and, and Jean intercepted me and shared something with me and it struck my heart, and I thought, that's what I'm going to preach on. And so, three days with the Lord, and I get my message 10 minutes before the service. You know, <laughs> go figure. But uh, here, here's what I want to talk, I want to talk, just touch on real quick here. Uh, we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We need to pray because the Bible mandates that we do that. And, uh, and we, we want to pray for the wisdom of God to surround them, for godly counselors, that the Lord would reveal himself to them, that they would make good decisions. And uh, we need to pray even more since the decisions they made on the first day in office. And so, you know, the, the, I won't even get into all that, but the, the fact is we do need to pray. Uh, it, it's interesting in scripture, there are, uh, you could say there's two prophetic responses to those in authority. There's Daniels who serve faithfully under a pagan ruler and actually served in the administration of three pagan kings. And uh, I'm talking, we're, we're talking out there kind of stuff. These guys were into overt occultism and so forth. Uh, they, would, they would go in and plunder nations, bring, bring the people back, uh, take their women as for their own wives and castrate the men. Daniel was one of those who were, was emasculated along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or 
I heard one guy say, make the bed, shake the bed, and into bed you go. But anyway, it, uh, that's how I always remember it. But, uh, you know, so uh, Daniel was one of those, but he served faithfully in three pagan administrations. And that is a godly thing to do. Then you have another prophetic expression in Scripture. You got Elijah and John the Baptist, who was the Elijah to come. And they stuck their bony finger in the face of pagan rulership and held them to account uh, for the truth. Which one is scriptural? Uh huh. They both are. And you need to know if you're a Daniel or if you're a John the Baptist. And you need to know when you're a Daniel and when you're a John the Baptist. Here's the thing. Prayer is not our only obligation to authority. We also need to speak the truth to authority. And even Daniel, who, who served faithfully under uh, some evil dudes, but Daniel served them well and loved them well. It's an awesome thing what Daniel did. You think about what he went through. Ripped out of his home country. Surgically altered as a man. And served them and loved them well. It's an amazing thing. That's supernatural. That he was able to serve them so well. But even Daniel prayed for the deliverance of his people. And he prayed that they would be delivered from their bondage, their slavery, their... They're, you know, they're being forced to go to another country and to be able to return to the promised land. And so we need to honor position, even if you don't feel like you can honor the person. When I was working at Teen Challenge, I was the director there, and, and uh, we'd have new students, and I'd always bring the new guys into my office and get a cup of coffee, and I'd give them a cup, because uh, coffee was restricted at Teen Challenge. I'm telling you what, it's amazing when you get a bunch of addicts together and you reduce their addiction to a cup of coffee and then limit that, man, they become ravenous over a cup of coffee. I mean, they're sneaking it. You know, they have their own stash. You know, it's like the bust. You're busted. No, don't take my coffee. And so when they first got in, I'd try to break them easily. And I'd get, you know, we'd sit and drink coffee. And I'd ask them to tell me their story. And it was always interesting to me. I'd say, tell me your story. And 99% of them would say this. The short version or the long version? And you know me. Give me the long version. Because I could know a lot about them and what they've been through and how to help them if I could hear their story. And so we'd talk. And then I'd give my little spiel as the director. And I'd tell them this. I'd say, listen. One of the problems with the drug culture. One of the problems. It's not a, it's not a coincidence that the drug culture rose at the same era of our, in our nation as the anti-authority rebellion of the 60s. Now, there, were, there was drug use far, you know, many years before that. But before it became you know, prominent, those two things rose together. Drug, you know, addiction, I know by experience. Uh, but one of my biggest problems was my rebellion when I was living on the streets. And so I would tell them, there, this is a very... Uh, very controlled atmosphere. You are going to, can you hear me? You are going to experience a lot of rules here. And uh, so there's going to be rules because we've got to get at that rebellion. 
And we, there was a, there's an old saying that it's when the barrel is, when someone kicks the barrel, the kick is not responsible for the contents that are exposed. They just exposed it. The contents were already there. The rules were the kick. <laughs> what was coming out was the rebellion. And then I would tell them this. I'd say, for your own sake, you need to submit to my authority and the other staff member's authority. You need to respect our position. And then I told them, I don't demand, I can't demand that you respect my person. I'm going to have to earn that. And hopefully, by the end of our, your time here, we'll have a mutual respect for one another. But I'm going to have to earn your respect for my person. But I will demand it for my position. Scripture says, give honor where honor is due. And we need to look for honorable things to bestow our honor upon. But we are not obligated to extend honor to dishonorable behavior. And so what we are obligated is to pray for them. And I've been, I've been praying for uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I've been praying for them. I was crying out with, in a prayer meeting yesterday. Uh, a group of us got on a Zoom call and we were crying, praying for their salvation, that God would reveal himself to them. And, uh, and we need to do that. And so I want to encourage you that we, in this hour, man, this is what we need to be doing. That's, that's our heart posture. And uh, we'll get in some more of it. We'll just kind of deal with this a little at a time, take you down the road. Amen? Okay. So I came in this morning and, and Gene shared something with me that uh, really, really struck me. He had a dream. Was it last night, Gene? Last night and the night before. He had a dream and the dream was... Uh, he, he ran into some old revival friends. Uh, they were in the room and they were, they were, one was a prophetic intercessor, one was a prophetic evangelist, and he ran into them and then he ran into Randy Clark. Now, Gene used to run with Randy all over and uh, was one of Randy's first interns and, and, uh, and so, uh, man, when he shared that with me, I felt the Spirit of God come on me. And I believe it's, it's significant that that's what's on the horizon. But then the next morning he woke up and the Lord said, I'm coming to judge, my word will judge my church. Is that what it was? I'm coming to judge my church. My word will judge my church. And I believe that's a word from the Lord. You can't pray like we have been praying without God responding. God will respond. The thing is, the way in which God responds is very important for us to understand. When we pray for revival, often we're, we're, crying, we're, we're expecting this wave of glory and, and blessing and all this great stuff, and the first wave when it hits often is glory but then it go, gets gory. God begins to deal with the stuff in us. And uh, it's one thing to pray in a move of God. It's another thing to establish it through, through submission to God's authority. Even the prayer of Jesus, he's, he taught us to pray. He said this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it starts with worship. And then he says this, This is the focal point of his prayer. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now let me get on a little rabbit trail here. I won't go long on this. On earth as it is in heaven. I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. I just need to quit social media, okay? Pray for me. But I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. People saying, well, why does any of this matter anyway? We're going to heaven. God is on the throne. Heaven, you know, we're going, you know, God, all, all that. I, I'm, there's the very educated missionary. I saw him post, all that matters is souls being saved. And I couldn't believe he said that because he's an educated man. The problem is he was educated in a very narrow theology, which is not a biblical theology. It's a half-biblical theology, but it's not the whole. The, the Great Commission has two expressions in Scripture. One says, go into all the world, make disciples, you know, uh, baptizing people. It's talking about uh, you know, preaching the gospel to every creature. The other one says, go and make disciples of all nations. One is dealing with individuals. One is dealing with culture. They're both relevant and because of our truncated gospel, our, our diminished gospel, that we've, we've chewed the gospel down to this little nub, and then you, you see entire nations. It's like, uh, I, I was just listening to Chris Vallotton this morning, and he was talking about Rwanda back in the 90s, where there was that, the, you know, the genocide of the, was it the Tutsus that were, uh, I believe it was them that were, they were just hacked to death with, uh, like, 400,000 of them were killed within a few days with machetes. And it was in a nation where like 96% of the people went to church every Sunday. But they turned on each other. If you win people to the Lord, but you don't begin to work on the environment, the culture that they live in, you'll never be able to sustain revival. Jesus taught us to pray. What? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His kingdom coming is the arrival, the invasion of revival. And we want that. But if you want it to be established and sustained, his will must be done. And if there's not an expression of God's will on the earth, that, that revival is just a couple of services and then the spirit lifts because he's grieved. When God comes, he is looking for change. And lest we think that God is only looking for change out there, and we're praying, God, change the situation in our nation. No, we are the beachhead of his invasion. We change first. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. God is out to transform us and reshape us and change us. And so our intercession is not some high horse arrogance that, oh, they're the problem. No, it begins with us. Scripture's clear. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It doesn't say if, if everyone that doesn't know me and the sinners out there and they, you know, the people that don't have a revelation, they need to stop it or I won't come. No, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal, hear their prayer and I will heal their land. That is more than salvation. That is God coming in to invade a culture, a group of people. And that's what we need. And so when Gene shared that, I was immediately, this verse just popped up in my spirit. And we began to pray. And I just felt that this tenderness towards the Lord.
And so I want to read, well, I'll just start at this one. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Second to the last, second to the last uh, chapter of the Old Testament. And then there was 400 years of silence. But listen to what it says. Whenever I read this passage, I'm reminded it, was, it, it had to have been at least 15 years ago. We'd have these morning prayer meetings and I, I got up and slung my legs over the side of the bed. I sat up and then slung my legs. And, and immediately the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm coming to my temple. And he said, and it's going to scare the spit out of you. That's what he told me. Now, God talks in our own vernacular. I don't know how he talks to you. I guess I'm a little less refined than, you know, God. But that's what he said, and I knew he was serious, and I felt the fear of the Lord on it. So much so that I expected it to happen within the next few weeks. And here we are 15 years later. And we've not yet seen that move of God. We've seen a move of God, of the love of God, of the joy of the Spirit, the outpouring of the wine in 2010, the outpouring of the love of the Father in 2008. But we have yet to see the move of God of the fear of the Lord. And mark my words, it is coming. There's a storm coming and God is the storm. And he's coming to rearrange the landscape. There's two expressions of the fear of the Lord in Scripture. There is one, it's an understanding. It's a choosing. Proverbs chapter 2 and 3, I want to say it is. One of them says this, I don't know which says, but one says, understand the fear of the Lord. The other one says, choose the fear of the Lord. So it's training our mind, getting an enlightenment. Okay, this is what the fear of the Lord is, and therefore I'm going to choose to live in light of that. The fear of the Lord is nothing more, nothing less than realizing that God is serious when he says something. That when he declares something, he means it. And that the God who sees all is a God of justice. And so he will hold us account for our actions. And so the fear of the Lord, the reason it's the beginning of wisdom, that proverb says, wisdom is living for the long term. Wisdom is foolishness in scripture. is not being silly. It is living for the moment. It's disregarding the consequences of your actions. I remember as a, as a young guy making decisions and saying, I'm going to go out and just get drunk tonight, knowing that I could lose my job. I mean, the ramifications of this, this decision were huge. I could end up with nothing, wandering the streets. I knew it, but I gave in in the moment and said, this is what, that, was, that is a biblical fool, and I was a fool. Biblical wisdom is living for the long term. And the reason the fear of the Lord is the foundation or key to wisdom is because the fear of the Lord takes into consideration and begins to make their decisions based on the long-term consequences. I really want this. However, I'm extrapolating out the consequences of this thing and I weigh those against one another and I realize the pleasure of the moment is not comparable to the pain in the long term. Therefore, I am going to make the right decision. That is wisdom. And it's based on the fear of the Lord because there's a, there's a God in heaven that is up there cultivating his garden. And he is the Lord of the harvest that is enforcing the law of the harvest. What a man sows, he will reap. 
If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction, regardless of whether you've been born again. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life. And so it's a very serious thing. But there's another expression of the fear of the Lord in Scripture. So that's the one we study ourselves into, we understand, and we begin to make decisions based on it. And some of that is largely by faith. Okay, I believe what the Word says. That itself is the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord will cause you to obey. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Because we begin to realize, that's what Scripture says, and the reason for that is because we realize that this evil will never be worth it. There, you've never sinned and have it be a blue light special. There's never a discount on sin. Matter of fact, you always pay more than you expected to pay. Heard a preacher say one time, you always pay more than you're meant to pay. Uh, there was another, and then it always keeps you longer than you're meant to stay. I forget the middle one. But what's that? Cost you more and uh, Yeah. Yeah, take, yeah. And so, anyway, it's, put it this way, it's bad, okay? And, uh, but there's another expression of the fear of the Lord in Scripture, and that is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, this one is an internal thing. You renew your mind and you choose it. You embrace it. It's your decision. You can accept it or reject it to your own demise or to your own blessing. This one is different. This is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It's environmental, doesn't matter if you choose it. You are in it when it arrives and the terror of the Lord will grip a person. I don't know how many of you have ever been in an environment when that happened. I remember a few months into getting saved, a buddy of mine at Teen Challenge said, let's have a revival. I, I didn't even, you know, I, don't, I didn't know you couldn't just do that, just decide. You can, but it's going to take some digging in. But God was so gracious with a, a room full of old ex-drug addicts and alcoholics that we're like, we're like three months clean, you know. And so we start crying out to God for a few nights and God shows up this one night. The room was permeated with his presence and this fear gripped me. I remember in this, we had some rancid carpet in that old Teen Challenge building, but I didn't care. I was hiding my face in the carpet. I was afraid to look up lest I see him and die. I knew he was so near that I might see him. Now, it wasn't because I, I hadn't, my mind hadn't been renewed. It didn't matter. It was in the air. And I'm going to tell you, those experiences will change you. So like I shared a couple weeks ago about, I don't know if it was Wednesday night or Sunday, about that guy, that atheist who was a, an evangelistic atheist and his brother-in-law was a pastor, at, a, an associate at a large church and he, he flew into town and this church was in revival. So he, he's, the guy's so awkward, they don't have anything in common. So they're saying, hey, let's, he said, well, you want to swing by the church and see our new carpet? The guy said, sure. You know, it's like, wow, exciting trip. And uh, so they pull up to the church and they open the door and the guy stepped one foot over the threshold, fell down weeping and got radically saved. And his brother-in-law later asked him, said, what happened? What was going on? He said, all I can explain is I did not believe in God walking up to that church, but I put one foot, one part of his foot in the door and he said, I was suddenly in the presence of God. That is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I'm telling you, it's coming to a church near you. God, 
God's going to send his fear. We need his fear on this nation. We need him. And that's the only thing that's going to correct the deep-seated compromise within the body of Christ. And I'm not pointing at anybody. And my heart's clean before the Lord. But I know there's things he wants to put his finger on. I don't have any, uh, I'm certainly not perfect, but I try to keep short accounts and apologize to my wife and daughter and children. And but God's coming after our hearts. Listen to this passage. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's the exact quote that God spoke to me that day. Now listen to this. Listen to what he said. The, the Lord whom you seek. This is a group of people that have been crying out for God to come. They've been asking him to come. And then it says, In the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this is the people seeking God. They delight in God. He is their pleasure. And then what does he say? But who can endure the day of his coming? He says this to people that that's their one desire, their longing. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and re refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and the righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. What he's saying is you can't pay off God. Your sacrificial offering won't make up for your disobedience. He's looking for an obedient people. God is coming to awaken his church. Judgment begins with the house of God. You know what repentance is? Repentance is self-judgment. It's me saying, I'm going to judge myself so I don't have to be judged. I'm going to beat God to the punch. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against. So now, God is going to stand as our defense in judgment. A swift witness against the sorcerers. Now, there's different translations translate that different way. I'm reading from the, the ESV, rather, and I agree with the ESV. A swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely. You want to be protected from the, the witchcraft of this world? Get right with God. That is the defense. That is the place of immunity. To live in repentance and tenderness towards God. To go low. All right, now let's look at another passage. Matthew 3, verse 11. This is, this is a passage introducing John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, his ministry uh, in the book of Matthew. And uh, of course, John the baptizer, he wasn't, he wasn't a Southern Baptist. Uh, you know, he, what he was is he was a baptizer. Uh, his ministry, 
His message was repentance. His method of securing the, the, the response was baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. Now, for us as believers, water baptism is a baptism of repentance, but it's more than that. It's turning from the old, but it's also entering into the new. And so it, it, it shows this, the, the, the preaching of John. And uh, let, let's, let's begin in verse 7. And, many, and when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, John, I just referred to him a few minutes ago. This is not, your, uh, this is not the guy you go to when you need comfort, okay? Let's just say you look for a different pastor. He said to them, you brood of vipers. He's not seeker sensitive. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, don't, don't uh, comfort yourself because of your lineage. Like, well, we're born Jewish and so we're right with God. He said, no. You know, God has no grandchildren. He has children. Every generation has to have their own relationship. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the, of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Heavy message. And it was preparing the way for the Lord. Verse 11, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I know that's a long introduction, and I only have 50 minutes left. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that you would help us to be responsive to your spirit and to your word. Lord, like you said to your servant, Gene, my word will judge you. That's straight out of your scripture, Lord. God, we want to judge ourselves before you have to judge us. Lord, we want to align ourselves with your word. God, we want to prepare, just as John prepared the way for you, we want to prepare the way for you in our own hearts and then into our region. So, Lord, deal with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, the one whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. John knew Jesus was the Messiah, and so he said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He didn't want to baptize Jesus, but Jesus said, I have to do this for all of righteousness. In other words, you need to get water baptized. If you've never been water baptized, call the office and we'll get you dunked uh, because it's important. It's you, to fulfill all of righteousness, you need to do it. And, uh, but then he goes on, he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we, we sing songs, send your fire. I love that song, send your fire. That's a great song and I want the fire of God. But what we need to realize is that the fire of God that flows through us first must deal with us. The first phase of the fire of God is to burn up the unquenchable or the, the unusable chaff within us. It's a very vivid picture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. There is, a, there is a purification that comes with the baptism of the Spirit. Matter of fact, the Methodists really emphasize that. They didn't emphasize so much the power aspect as they did the purification aspect. We Pentecostals emphasize the power aspect and ignore the purification aspect. The fact is they're both true and scriptural. One is the external reality. The other is the internal reality. The one is power to evangelize, power for signs and wonders. The other one is, the internal one is power to live a holy life. Romans 8 is very clear. By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. In other words, the secret to the holy life is the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives within us and we abide in him. And he gives us power to overcome. I mentioned Teen Challenge earlier. How many of you ever read the book, The Cross and the Switchblade? Yeah, it was a best-selling book way back in the, I want to say in the early 70s. Uh, millions and millions of people read that book. It's about the, the founding of Teen Challenge, David Wilkerson's tremendous story, but just this supernatural leading of God. And he established by far the most successful re drug rehabilitation the earth has ever known. The average success rate of a secular drug rehabilitation, and I know I've been through them, is three to seven percent. The high end is seven people out of every hundred that come through the door will still be clean four years later. Only four. They're very good at diagnosing the problem. They just don't know how to give a, they don't have a prescription to cure it. Teen Challenge has an 85 or 86 percent cure rate. 86 percent. No, that's of everybody that goes through the whole program, and a lot of people drop out. But 86% after four years are still living clean. And I'm one of them. But the reason is because they have the cure. It's the G's. Matter of fact, the government did a study on Teen Challenge and uh, tried to figure out what's the difference between those two, and they had to begrudgingly settle on this phrase. It's the Jesus factor. There was a famous book called The Jesus Factor. But David Wilkerson in his book points out that the, the students that didn't, that were not baptized in the Holy Spirit, and if you think you get saved and baptized at the same time, come on Wednesday nights, we're going to be dealing with that very soon in our spiritual gifts class. Uh, but the students that didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't make it. They would, they would go out and start using drugs again and they would slide off and just disappear. There's a reason that Ephesians chapter 1 says the Holy Spirit is a seal. He seals us in this thing. Those that did get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it wasn't that they didn't use again, but he said they would, they would come back sheepishly and say, Davy, they called him Davy, Davy, I'm hooked on Jesus. I can't get away from this thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power power over evil. But the first phase of that thing is the purifying fire. And we need to realize that when we cry out for fire, realize, don't stop, but just realize what you're praying. Because the fire of God will come to purify you. The first wave of revival is the dealings of God to get us straight. I remember when God first began to move at Heartland 
Uh, I'm not saying it was the first time God ever moved in Heartland. I've been at this church 25 years. I've been the, the senior pastor for going on 19 years. This April will be 19 years. Hard to believe. Uh, but man, about 18 years ago, God really began to move in power. There was some, some dr- radical things. And you know what was one of the marks of the, that? I started having people make appointments with me. People that had been serving the Lord for 30 years. To confess sins that they committed in high school. I, Pastor, I, just, I felt like the Lord told me to come and get this off my chest. And they would confess these sins. And to me, it's like, to be honest, I'm thinking, big deal. You know, that's 30 years ago and you're saved. But it was a matter of the dealings of God. So I'd say, yeah, let's pray. Because God was dealing with their hearts. And there's something that happens when God begins to, like Laura, God began to deal with her about that, that abortion way back in her past, hidden. And she confessed it to John. And of course, John responded wonderful. Then the Lord said, now I want you to tell the women's group. No, she shared it with the women's group. Now I want you to share it with the church. Now she shares it everywhere. Gone to other nations. But it's a matter of us Dealing with these issues. You see, if you have issues in your life that you're not willing to deal with, the enemy can always blackmail you with them. My motto is, I'm going to beat the enemy to the, beat him to the, you know, beat him to it. If you, you come up to me and say, hey, I heard this. I say, you ain't heard half of it. It was worse than you thought. Oh my goodness. You got time? Let's get some coffee. This is going to take a while. Because the enemy's not going to blackmail me. I'm not proud of my past, but I'm not ashamed of it. You know why? Because it isn't me. I'm not that guy. I am free. That guy died in 1983. This is a new creation. And so I don't, I don't carry around that shame. But if we're not willing to talk about it, it's because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. That we think that we're still that person. And when I first began to walk with the Lord, I thought God just gave me a second chance. I didn't realize he gave me a second birth. He gave me a second, you know, I mean, I had a second life. That old man was dead and gone. That, I'm not that person anymore. But the dealings of God, it was, it was an amazing thing as God began to deal with us as a congregation. And then there were waves of God coming into the, the church. I mean, it was, it was amazing, and it still is. It was just, it was amazing. Some of those, I see them shaking their heads that were there in those days, back in that little church with the ratty carpet, and we'd lay on that carpet, and God would come. Oh, you know, every now and then I'll drive by that old building and just long for those intimate times. It was amazing. When Gene shared that with me this morning, I felt that old hunger come up like, God, just this weeping began to come over me, and we just went right into prayer. God wants to set us on fire. But realize, the first stage of that fire is to burn things up. What John was talking about is this. Listen, look at the passage. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is already in his hand. And he's going to separate the chaff from the grain. And then he's going to go a step further and he's going to burn up the chaff. And listen to this language. This is violent language. Unquenchable fire. What's he talking about? It was a common practice in Middle Eastern 
cultures, what they would do is they would find, in, in the harvest field, they would look for a knoll, uh, the highest hill in the harvest field, and they would clear an area, uh, you know, several yards, and they would stamp it down with clay. They would, so it was really hard, and it was called a threshing floor. And they would harvest things and immediately throw it on the threshing floor, and then they would use a large stone to crush it. It, it looked like a Fred Flintstone tire. You remember those, Fred Flintstone? Am I dating myself? You know, and it would, it would, that stone would roll over and it would break the husk. Because when you had grain, when you had wheat, there was an outer husk that was unusable. It was keeping that which was usable from uh, being accessed. The, what was usable was on the inside of this hard husk. It was the chaff. And they had to break that thing and break it down. And then what they would do, after they'd crushed it all, then they would take a winnowing fork, which was nothing more than a, a pitchfork. And they would take it, and they would, when the wind would blow, that's why they took the highest knoll, the upper room, and they would throw it in the air, and it would, the wind would catch the, the fluff, the light stuff, the stuff that is not usable, the chaff, and it would blow it away. And all that would keep coming down when they'd throw it up in the air was the grain. All that they wanted was that which is usable, and they kept doing that. And that was the normal process. But John says that Jesus will add a step. He is not uh, satisfied with the chaff just being separated, with it blowing in the wind and falling in the field. He said, Jesus will then take the chaff. Farmers didn't do this. We're gonna, he's going to take the chaff and he's going to burn it with unquenchable fire. It speaks of the zeal of the Lord to have all of us. The zeal of the Lord to go after those things in our life that are unusable. And more than that, that are keeping him from accessing that which is usable in your life. And so the zeal of the Lord, when he comes, he comes to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire, because he wants to burn those things up. God is zealously, jealously going after your heart, my heart. He wants all of us. David Wilkerson used to have this wonderful phrase, and when I first heard it back in the 80s, I thought, that cannot be true. And I'm now convinced it is. He said, God would rather win all of you than to use you to win all the world. That's an important principle for us to understand. Because there's a part of us, especially in the charismatic culture, the revival culture, we get saved and we want to move into being used by God. We want to skip this phase of him having all of us and let's just move into this thing. And there are no shortcuts. God would rather have all of you than to use you to win all the world. He is after our heart. And we need to be leaning in right now. There was an old song. I want to say it was by Dennis Jernigan. And it talked about leaning into the wind. He said, don't, you know, don't, you don't, you don't, Try to hide from the wind. You lean in. Let it blow through you. Expose yourself to the wind of God. Expose yourself to the fire of God. 
Ask him to cleanse us. Let's judge ourselves. I believe what Gene heard from the Lord, as soon as he said it, I felt the weight of it. This weeping just came on me. He's coming to judge his church. He will judge us in time so he doesn't have to judge us in eternity. But he's looking for our agreement in that judgment, and that's called repentance. Repentance says, I agree with your assessment, Lord. These things need to change. And I want to encourage you that going into this last week of the fast, let's ask God, Lord, deal with our hearts. God, we want, let's put it this way. You can only go as deep in God as you allow him to go in you. You put the limitation. You can only go as deep in God as you allow him to go in you. And as soon as you put limitations on God and say thus far and no more, you've declared that over your life and your relationship with God. And so we need to be asking God, God, deal with us. Lord, probe our hearts. Lord, expose. See if there be any wicked way in me. Let's pray. God. Oh, Lord. Father, I know you are faithful. Lord, we can't pray like we're praying without you responding. But Lord, I, I hear your word. Who can endure the day of his coming? Lord, we want to be prepared for the refiner's fire. Matter of fact, Lord, we want to deal with things in advance. Lord, we want to cooperate with you. Father, I'm asking God that you would begin to settle over us with conviction. Lord, that the fear of the Lord would begin to enter. Lord, that you'd begin to brood over us. And Lord, those, those areas of compromise, conscious and unconscious, Lord, that you would begin to deal with them. Lord, I ask that you'd begin to strip away those things that those defenses, Lord, those strongholds that we use to justify things that are not your will. Lord, even those things that in and of themselves are not bad, it's just not you. Lord, I'm asking God, begin to deal with us. And Lord, we are asking for a move of God to come to this church, to this region, and to our nation. Hallelujah. Amy Strickland, on uh, I believe it was Friday, came to me and she shared a picture that she had of a, a man on fire. She said he was burning so hot, she said I could smell the fuel. And she said we looked at him and we all wanted what he had. That's what the world needs. Many of you have heard the great John Wesley.
They'd say, how did you get such crowds? He'd have 20, 30,000 people show up in a field. No PR, no Instagram. He'd, it was word of mouth. And they said, how do you do it? And he said, I light myself on fire and men come to watch me burn. We need men and women of fire. And God wants to give it to us. And I'm not talking about something we hype. The goal is not to get a crowd. The goal is his glory and that he have all of us. Amen. I just saw Mike Schreer back there when I said that. And I want to, it reminded me, uh, Will Graham is going to be coming, Billy Graham's grandson. is going to be coming to Des Moines this summer. And I believe our nation is ripe for harvest. Let's start to lift him up before the Lord. Will Graham, just begin to lift him up before the Lord that God would make him a burning man. Amen? That God would anoint it. And the simple message of the gospel would turn the lives of men around and ignite a move of God in our region. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.